This post is a reading of a article by Christian Elliott in his deconstructingconventional.com. It's been updated November 18th, 2021, and it's entitled 17 More Reasons I Won't Be Getting a COVID Vaccine. Number one, the vaccines are a massive failure. If ever there was an obvious example of willful determination by our public health officials to believe in something despite all evidence to the contrary, these injections are it. Remember the quote 95% effective story we were sold? What a misplaced hope that turned out to be. While we could look at compelling evidence of failure from most vaccinated nations and states in the world, Vermont, Maine, Colorado, the UK, Wales, Chile, Ireland, or Mongolia, let's just stick with the most glaring example of the utter failure of these shots, Israel. With the belief that Israel would be the shining example of how to get back to normal, Netanyahu sold out his entire country in an exclusive contract with Pfizer. Israel's a shining example, all right, but not for vaccine effectiveness. What am I talking about? I'll leave, it to, I'll leave it to Dr. Peter Doshi, the editor of the British Medical Journal, the BMJ, for the micro-drop article about this ridiculous efficacy sham. Here is the inconvenient data of what Doshi calls, quote, the elephant named waning immunity, unquote. In early July 2021, Israel reports the vaccine was 64% effective. By late July 2021, Israel reported the vaccine was 39% effective. That's a major drop in less than a month. Curious about the efficacy rate after that? Me too, but Pfizer supposedly doesn't have any data past six months into the trial. Um, how long have these trials been going on? And that prompts another important question. How could the clear signals of dramatically waning immunity lead to a, quote, full FDA approval? Side note, I'll discuss the full approval ruse shortly. For now, let's set aside that approval issue and set aside one. The real reality is that the uninjected human immune system remains 99.9% .9 effective at beating COVID and two, the Lancet article that says the absolute risk reduction a jab confers is a whopping 1.3% decreased risk at best. And stick with the mainstream narrative. Given the waning of efficacy, what sense do these shots make and why in the world are they the only way back to normal? One would think in light of such concerning data that world leaders would admit they picked the wrong exclusive strategy and at least give us more options besides mandating increasingly worthless shots for a version of the virus that scarcely exists anymore. Don't hold your breath. Here's why. Predictably, instead of admitting the painfully obvious, ending the jab program or pivoting to other treatments, Israel and now the CDC is doing the opposite. Now the double jabbed get to rejoin the unvaccinated group. What? Yeah, now if you're not triple jabbed, your vaccine passport is or will soon be invalid. Not only that, Israel's gearing up for their fourth shot. Let that sink in. The first and second shot didn't work. The third isn't working either. So let's plan for four. Remind me of the definition of insanity again. Seriously? Apparently so. 
This is our life now in waves, said Zarka, Israel's chief COVID-19 officer. Here's my question. When does this jab treadmill end? Do we really think we can outsmart nature and, quote, booster our way to zero COVID? Did we forget how wildly ineffective, often as low as 10%, the annual flu shots are? Did we forget that, quote, fully approved drugs that were actually studied for years frequently get pulled from the market? Hello, Vioxx, Celebrex, opioids, etc. Are we really going to embrace the idea of a no exceptions twice annual or multi-annual immunity membership sacrament, I mean a passport, in order to live our lives? But here is a concerning situation and a super uncomfortable reality we have to face. Number two, the pandemic of the vaccinated. Mind bender alert. Could it be that it's actually the vaccinated who are keeping COVID going? For those who want to get bogged down in the country by country stats, I've put a link to 68 countries in, in a study. But to not get too bogged down here, let's observe the high-level repeated pattern. The more vaccinated a country or state becomes, the more there is a corresponding surge in COVID deaths, and the surge is typically higher than the natural pre-jab peak. I could throw a bunch of graphs and headlines at you, but suffice it to say, and he puts in a, a curve that proves that from Johns Hopkins University, Regardless of how you want to look at the data, the bottom line is this. The jabs are completely failing to make quantifiable difference in COVID when compared to countries with low uptake rates. In other words, low jab rates. The conundrum I see for anyone who still wants to believe in these shots is that you either, one, have to swallow the dissonance that the shots are ineffective and necessary. Two, explain the data by saying the shots are working. And the reason the death count is so high is because too many deaths are being mislabeled as COVID deaths, or three, believe that we don't, we didn't get everyone in the globe vaccinated fast enough, which even if everybody wanted it would be logistically impossible given how fast the virus mutates. Whatever way you go, the narrative vaccine solution doesn't work. What's worse, it appears that those who take the shot are becoming super spreaders. No wonder the CDC remasks us and even revised the definition of a vaccine. No wonder other nations are barring Israelis from entering their country. How could this be happening? Let's geek out on the science for a hot second. Number three, the vaccines pressure the virus to mutate and skirt our immune systems. Not only is data pouring in about how ineffective these shots are, it appears they are actually pressuring the virus to mutate. It's not like vaccine science didn't see this coming. If you read my 18 Original Reasons article, you may remember I mentioned Dr. Greet Vanden Bosch, one of the most respected vaccine scientists on the planet. He put his entire impressive reputation on the line when he raised the alarm, called for immediate pause to the COVID vaccine program, and asked for public debates among his peers. Did you catch those debates? Of course not, you didn't. Greet was vilified and the debates never happened. Yet Dr. Vanden Bosch is starting to look like a prophet, or at least an insightful and refreshingly honest scientist. Here's a quick recap of three of his predictions so far. He told us that vaccinating people in the middle of an outbreak would, number one, accelerate the virus's ability to mutate. Hello, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, etc. 
Number two, inevitably produce vaccine-resistant strains. Hello, new surge in infections. Number three, train the immune system to fixate on one specific piece of the original SARS-CoV-2 virus, the spike protein, and thus be non-responsive to future variants. Never mind the first two problems, do you see the significance of Greet's third point? An immune system that is non-responsive to future variants is a body that can be defeated by future versions of the common cold. Thus, his warning of a potential for a mass casualty event. <clears throat> Has Greet changed his tune now that we have several months of data? Nope, he's doubling down. In another recent interview with Robert Malone, the inventor, or some would argue the co-inventor of the messenger RNA vac vaccine, Greet went into more detail on the science of why these jabs are so potentially deadly, and he puts a link there. Appreciate for a second that these men are at the top of their field. They are titans of the vaccine world, and both men are calling for an end to the COVID vaccine program, not only because it is mathematically impossible to inject our way out of COVID, but because they know it is becoming increasingly deadly to attempt to do so. Bet you didn't hear that from Fauci. I'll leave the last word on this one to Dr. Vanden Bosch. He said that what we are doing is so dangerous for humanity that he called for us to make love, not war. By that, he is calling for a new baby boom to replenish the earth with a re reservoir of unvaccinated people who can actually fight future coronaviruses and save our species. Let that sink in for a second. If you don't like that perspective, take it up with Vanden Bosch or Dr. Robert Malone or this Nobel Prize winner. All three men are saying the same thing. I'm just the messenger. If that perspective has you a tad freaked out, keep reading. I won't leave you there, but we need to see how deep this rabbit hole goes. Number four, clearly established highly concerning risks of the, quote, vaccines. Not only do these jabs have the potential to make the immune system non-responsive to future variants of the coronavirus, there are at least three other major problems. First, it is now becoming increasingly clear these shots at least temporarily turn off your immune system's ability to recognize friend from foe. Part of the mechanism of action for which a Nobel Prize was awarded is that these injections cause, quote, toll-like receptors of our immune system to not attack foreign messenger RNA. Toll-like receptors are the gatekeepers that empower the immune system to do things like, number one, recognize native versus foreign messenger RNA. Number two, distinguish healthy cells from cancer cells. Number three, put viruses in check so they remain dormant. Can you see why that might be a problem? Say hello to the possibility of a return of aggressive cancer and the opportunity for dormant viruses to reemerge. Maybe you even know people this has happened to. Second, we are told the injected spike proteins would stay hyper-local in the shoulder and thus the immune system would surround the enemy, learn its ways, clean up the injection site, and a form of memory immunity called humoral immunity would confer protection. As it turns out, the logic of that first assumption makes as much sense as having a peeing section in a pool. In what's called a biodistribution study, Japanese researchers found the spike protein, which is toxic, was able to travel throughout the entire body, including across the highly sensitive blood-brain barrier. The highest concentration of these spike proteins was actually found in the ovaries. Perhaps this explains why, in Pfizer's own study, they acknowledged there is a risk for pregnant women 
via inhalation and skin contact if exposed to someone who has had the vaccine. Might that explain the reports of menstrual fertility, miscarriage, and miscarriage issues in women? We know scientists have been working on vaccines that spread like a disease. Third, these jabs also contain the instructions to turn your cells into spike protein factories. Not only is the spike protein what opens the cell wall to allow the virus inside, these spiky bits, whether from COVID or from the jab, cause your cells to begin manufacturing a protein that can cause blood platelets to stick together, a low blood clots. Do you see the obvious problem with these shots not staying in your arm, i.e. escaping capture by the immune system and replicating all over the body? With the right trigger, cells all over an injection, injected person's body might not only simultaneously become a spike protein factory that thickens the blood, but can also cause the immune system to start attacking any cells that make the spike protein. Hello, potential microclots, as well as potential autoimmunity. Side note, as I detailed in the 18 Reasons post, science already knew about this phenomenon of body-wide inflammation from all the animal studies in the previous 20 attempts, 20 years of attempts to make coronavirus vaccines. These experiments ended with body-wide inflammation that overwhelmed the test animals. Should we be surprised then that in the first autopsy of a human who died after receiving the jab, this same phenomenon is exactly what was found. Given this was a known potential side effect, where there, where is the quote spare no expense money for doing as many autopsies as necessary to confirm if this is happening for those who die after being injected? Why is it left to private brave pathologists in Germany or Idaho or Michigan who risk their careers to do the autopsies and do the and report their troubling findings? Can you see now why Gerrit Vanden Bosch and over 12,000 other doctors and scientists signed a petition in Europe to stop the jab program and over 59,000 signed another one? If all these doctors are willing to buck the system, maybe it's because they are seeing number five, the dramatic numbers of deaths among the vaccinated. It would be one thing if these jabs were just a big ineffective dud, but unfortunately that's not what we're dealing with. As you might imagine, given the mechanisms mentioned above, these jabs are, by orders of magnitude, the most harmful products ever to be labeled a vaccine. In fact, it should give anyone pause that all vaccine injuries in the last 30 years combined don't equal the carnage we've seen in 2021 alone. But wait, you might protest. Aren't those numbers skewed because no other vaccine has been used this widely? Good question. The answer is no. No matter what way you might want to pivot the data, the graph stubbornly looks the same. This would explain why the COVID jab has killed more active duty military than COVID has. This would explain why funeral home directors are reporting an excessive amount of mortality, which is business, from families whose loved ones have taken the jab. In short, we're vastly overcounting COVID cases and deaths and vastly intentionally, dismissively, undercounting deaths and adverse reactions from the vaccine. What am I talking about? Ready for another doozy? In a sworn affidavit, a CDC whistleblower said the numbers for COVID jabs adverse reactions are underreported by at least a factor of five. For context of how egregious this is, in 1976, the U.S. pulled the plug on the rushed 
H1N1 vaccine after a few dozen reported deaths. A few dozen. How many more deaths do we need to see before we end this jab program? And it's not just the death counts that are being ignored. It's also, number six, the flagrant disregard and disinterest in other safety signals. Of the countless examples I could use for this one, I'll stick with three. First, check out this website, Vax Long Haulers. This is not a website of people who are anti-vaccine. It's a site of people abandoned by the medical establishment who, quote, just want to be heard. With over 800,000 adverse events reported to the VAERS, this sad six degrees of Calvin Bacon means that if you don't yet know someone who was injured, sickened, or killed by these jabs, like I do, you likely will soon. Yet in a telling example of cognitive dissonance, you likely also know or will know people, including medical professionals, dismissive of verified debilitating adverse reactions because that would either be too uncomfortable to contemplate or they never thought to correlate the obvious. If you're in favor of these shots, please help me understand why we should be trusting of efficacy and dismissive of harm when the products are still in clinical trials. That seems like the opposite of a reasonable approach. Second, some want to argue that the VAERS database is simply reporting correlated cases, not confirmed injuries or deaths. While that's not entirely true, it takes time to confirm them all. Let's just assume it was. With over 18,000 correlated deaths and 800,000 correlated injuries, where is the will to, quote, warp speed the hiring of as many people as necessary to get through the backlog and confirm the safety data? We had $4 billion plus dollars spent on promoting the vaccines, never mind the cost to create them. Where's the spare-no-expense mentality for an effective tracking system? Why did OSHA quietly tell businesses who require their employees to get the jab that OSHA will not enforce the law that requires companies to report adverse reactions to the jab? Think about it. We are bombarded with headlines about cases and death but we willfully turn a blind eye to all the information about harm from the jabs. Third, perhaps nothing tip typifies this flagrant disregard for safety more than the ridiculous, unconscionable use of these jabs for children. In case you like lists, here are 10 red flags that reveal the FDA's shady and preposterous junk science used in the approval for kids. Here's the short version. Children incur a higher risk of injuries and death from the vaccines than from COVID. For brevity, I'll stick with the easiest example of a flashing red light safety signal among children, myocarditis. That's the swelling of the heart that produces permanent heart damage and sometimes death. That's not something healthy adolescents randomly experience. Yet it is happening at shockingly high numbers of kids given these jabs, especially boys ages 12 to 17, who are four to six times more likely to be hospitalized for myocarditis than COVID. Who knows how many injuries go unreported because they show up outside of one week. Most of the data collection stops on day six. It's info like this that caused Sweden, Denmark, and Iceland to pause Moderna's shot. Yet the FDA just approved the shots for kids age five to 11. Seriously, who is following the science and who is not? One would think if the U.S. government wanted to build confidence in these injections and the entire vaccine program, they would have at least withdrawn the shots for children. 
Instead, despite black and white evidence of more harm than benefit, the CDC blatantly says, quote, the potential benefits outweigh the risks. According to what data, CDC, are you blatantly lying, incompetent, or both? The only thing we can follow is the money, because there is no good logic or science to justify the ongoing jab campaign, nor, in light of the above, can it be fathomable to take away people's freedoms and livelihoods if they refuse an ineffective, risky product. If you need further evidence of an agenda, look no further than number seven, the sham, quote, full FDA approval of Pfizer's jab. If you are trying to take comfort in the jab's safety because of the, quote, full approval status, brace yourself. This may be the ugliest black eye the FDA ever had. For starters, there is no fully approved COVID jab available anywhere in the world. Wait, what? Yeah, the approved common, common, C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y shot won't be available until 2023 or 2024. Wait, but isn't the emergency use authorization jab the same as the approved jab? Nope, they're the same but different. How different? We don't know. Even U.S. senators can't get the FDA to answer that question. Confused? Good, I think that's the point. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Just get your darn outdated shot already. Come on, surely there must be pages and pages of publicly available data behind the approval. Nope. The FDA has formally asked to wait until 2076 to fully release the data. What's more, the FDA is currently being taken to court because they broke the law and won't show the data they relied upon to approve the shot. You can't make this stuff up. If you care to wade through what seems to be intentionally confusing semantics, read this. I'd love to believe in the jabs, but somebody please to explain to me. One, how the heck does Pfizer know what strain of COVID might be around two or more years from now? that they can already have a fully approved shot ready. Two, why Pfizer redacted 22% of the ingredients in their new approved vaccine and the FDA had to be Freedom of Information Act uh, hassled to get that ingredient public. Number three, why Pfizer hid from the public that they had used aborted fetal cells in the production of their vaccines and we only found out that because of a Pfizer Pfizer whistleblower. Four, why, in approving the shot, did the FDA skip public comments and the regular over, regulatory oversight meeting? You know, that supposedly third-party oversight review board that weighs in on full approval called VRBPAC. Meh. That's too much red tape for something we want to forcibly inject into everyone. So much for the scientific transparency pledge the FDA told us about. Informed consent? Ha. Huh? Fox is guarding the hen house? Help me out. I don't know any other way to see this. It appears the full approval was simply a ruse to give cover for mandates and, of course, allow Pfizer to go through the back stock of all that those expiring vials that will go to waste without coercion. Oh, but it gets worse. Number eight, the booster debacle. And then there's this. After a study of a whopping 329 healthy people, including 12 people over 65, with no control group, and after following these healthy people for, quote, over two months, Pfizer had the audacity to ask for full approval to give a third shot of the same formulation to all adults. Instead of skipping another advisory council meeting to review the risk-benefit of approving another shot of the same dud, the VRBPAC committee did meet this time, and after a full 
day open for public comment period and after hearing doctor after doctor saying things that they were ineffective and dangerous the committee overwhelmingly 16 to 2 voted not to approve the booster shot yet leave it to absent-minded joe biden to say afterwards that the booster program is going forward quote as planned what was joe talking about Shortly after the 16 to 2 vote, his CDC director overruled the advisory committee and approved the booster shot for, quote, those at high risk and the elderly, unquote. Is it just me or is, quote, risky underlying health problems a pathologically vague category? Never mind the boosters are failing in Israel or that the European Union and the World Health Organizations both recommended against boosters. I'm sure North American humans are different. Do you see what's happening here? They're asking us all to take our place on the vaccine treadmill of outdated, all risk, no benefit shots that seem to be spreading COVID, injuring us, crashing our immune systems, killing some of us, and creating future versions of the virus that don't currently exist. Awesome. What could possibly go wrong? It is sheer coincidence that two top FDA officials resigned after the booster debacle. Maybe there are people who have a conscience still working at the top of the FDA. Maybe not. My concern is, who are we left with after these resignations? Tony Fauci's henchmen? Given the obvious failure of the jab, you'd think the medical establishment would at least be open to any and all treatments that might prove promising. You'd be wrong. Number nine, the heavy-handed suppression of highly effective treatments. Remember a few months ago when the media couldn't stop talking about how bad the COVID was in India and how we all needed to look at them as a reason to take the jab? Have you noticed they're not talking about India anymore? Curious as to why? It's because India embraced ivermectin and wiped out COVID. The same thing happened in Japan and throughout several countries in Africa. Why aren't we celebrating and replicating that wonderful success? Why are we being told that ivermectin a drug used in humans for decades, proven, say, in over 63 trials, a drug, a drug that even won, won a Nobel Prize, is no longer safe. It's now a risky, quote, horse dewormer. Why are fabricated stories in the Rolling Stone and on MSNBC about emergency rooms overflowing with people who overdosed on ivermectin not being publicly retracted? Why is Dr. Peter McCullough, who, number one, has an unassailable reputation. Number two, used to believe in these jabs. Number three, has successfully treated hundreds of COVID patients with a multifaceted approach. And number four, is the most published doctor in the world on COVID being ignored, smeared, sued, and censored by the medical and tech establishments. Why are any number of treatments that average about 85 to 90% effective for overcoming COVID not standard protocol in all hospitals in the U.S.? Why are we denying early read any treatment to confirm COVID cases and for those who don't get better when untreated, admitting them to hospitals where germs congregate and then using highly ineffective and deadly treatments like remdesivir and ventilators? Wouldn't it be great if instead of the CDC or FDA, we had doctors who actually treat COVID patients making recommendations? Folks, there is zero sense to what is happening, only dollars, deaths and fear. Now, lest you think I only listen to doctors who once believed in these vaccines, but have come not to believe in them, let me introduce you to Dr. Human Norchasm. 
He, as far as I know, still believes in these jabs. By the way, he's the only doctor I've seen make a respectable and respectful argument for them. Yet, even with his belief that these shots have a place, he acknowledges number 10, natural immunity to COVID is far superior to vaccine-induced immunity. Whereas the Pfizer's jab had, has been shown to wane in efficiency in two months, natural immunity is equal or better in all the studies I can find. In case you don't believe me, here's a list of 81 studies with links. Happy scrolling. Neurochasm says we have to acknowledge natural immunity is not only superior to vaccine-induced immunity, but is clear justification to enjoy, avoid the jab altogether. <clears throat> Think about it. We don't vaccinate for any other infection one has recovered from. Why then are we forcing these shots on the naturally recovered? Neurochasm isn't alone in being flabbergasted at the blind eye for natural immunity. Scott Gottlieb, former head of the FDA, who is currently on the board of advisors at Pfizer's, says we have to bring natural immunity into the equation of who needs these shots. And you may have seen that Project Veritas totally busted three, I imagine now former, Pfizer scientists who acknowledge what I said above, natural immunity is better. As Norchasm laments, Biden, who Norchasm voted for, is destroying confidence in the entire vaccine program and tearing our nation apart by mandating these shots and refusing to make allowances for natural immunity. Natural immunity is and always has been better. As great as science is, it can't improve on nature, period. Why then can't the naturally infected like me opt out? But there's another concerning reason to allow the naturally infected to opt out. Number 11, these vaccines, quote unquote, regress the immune system. In the above-mentioned interview, Dr. Gary Vanden Bosch talked about the problem of regressed immunity. As he discusses, see if this sounds familiar, the jab causes the immune system of previously naturally infected people to become deer-in-the-headlights blind to any version of COVID that doesn't have the original unmutated spike protein. It would make sense then that an Israeli study confirmed that you're 13 times more likely to get a breakthrough infection if you get the jab. It would also explain why another Israeli study showed that 40% of new COVID patients were vaccinated compared to just 1% who were previously infected. But let me drive home the important point. It's not just that natural immunity is better. The deeper problem is these jabs are showing signs of damaging the immune system. According to a cited study uh, in a link, the vaccinated appear to have a, quote, total immune system degradation of 40% of their immune system capability. In other words, the shots appear to regress overall immune function significantly. Part of what makes the idea of regularly, quote, boosting the immune system problematic is the potential for a phenomenon called immune exhaustion. How common is this? That's still to be determined, but is not the potential for wearing out the immune system via boosters a good enough reason to argue for safety trials longer than over two months, and with more than 12 people over the age of 65? Yuck, none of that sounds like an argument to get in line for those shots. Well, I could give more scientific reasons. I'm declining the jab. I hope I made my point on that front. Instead of belaboring the science, I want to ask, have I presented any fair questions so far?
Do I sound crazy? To anyone still clinging to the COVID mainstream narrative, I have a sincere question for you. No one with any integrity argues that vaccines or drugs do not come without risks of harm. The moral conundrum I see for people who believe in mandating these injections is this. Where is the acceptable line of minority harm? It's inevitable that some minority of people will be harmed by these shots. How much harm is too much and who gets to decide? Given that these jabs are connected to dramatic evidence of harm, is it not fair to suggest that where there is a risk, there must at least be a choice? I know I won't convince everyone that the CDC willfully hyperinflated the COVID numbers or that the jabs are dangerous. So here's the deal. I'm fully prepared to lose these arguments. I'm hoping there's one thing we can agree on. There should be no mandates. If someone wants to get the jab after knowing everything I laid out above, I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with coercion, vaccine passports, or discriminating against people based on their medical information. That's segregation, is it not? Can we agree here? If not, where? what's your ethical alternative su suggestion? If you can grant that I've asked some fair questions, please indulge me for my next few reasons. Allow me now to turn my attention away from science and towards some recent readily verifiable history that puts this COVID nonsense in context. Number 12, the corrupt backstory of COVID-19, the short version. To say this pandemic has been in the works for a while is an understatement. I went into great detail about some of the wizards behind the COVID curtain in another post. Today, for brevity's sake, we need look no further at this pandemic than a quote from 2015. Peter Daszak, head of Eco Alliance and proposer of terrifying things like, quote, release of skin penetrating nanoparticles and aerosols of novel chimeric spike proteins, had this to say, about how to make money by creating a massive uptake of vaccines. Quote, until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at an emergency threshold, it is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding beyond the crisis, we need to increase public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures, MCM, such as pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media and the economics following the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. That's quoted on the NIH website all the way back in February 12, 2016. We could keep following the science, but let's follow the money, shall we? As I touched on in my original 18 Reasons article, most people have heard by now that, number one, there was illegal, quote, gain of function, unquote, research going on in China using bat coronaviruses. Number two, the most probable origin of the SARS-CoV-2 virus is via the Wuhan lab, i.e. it either escaped accidentally or was intentionally released. Thanks largely to a freedom of information document dump of Anthony Fauci's emails, even the NIH admits that Fauci is not only illegally funded that Fauci not only illegally funded that research through Peter Daszak, quoted above, but that Fauci also lied to Congress about doing so. To cover their tracks, dumb and dumber, I mean Fauci and Daszak, created a fraudulent study to spread a narrative that the virus was natural origin, not lab-created. That narrative held for a while, but eventually even mainstream media couldn't hide the lab leak probability when the former head of the CDC, 
Robert Redfield, said that he believed it came from the lab, a move that apparently led him to getting death threats. Why are Tony and Peter not in jail? I covered some speculation about that in another post. For now, let's stay focused on some hard evidence. Look no further than number 13, the patient record. Another valuable piece of verifiable, shocking, and damning evidence of Fauci's crimes can be found in the patient record, patent record, the patent record, P-A-T-E-N-T. Since 1999, over 4,000 patents have been filed on coronaviruses. 123 of these patents cover every aspect of what supposedly is novel about SARS-CoV-2. The entire virus, as well as the antidotes and means of detecting the virus, received patents long before COVID-19. Wait, you might say, how can someone patent a living organism? Isn't that illegal? That's correct. The patented spike protein that these jabs are based on is a synthetic computer-generated chimeric, which is DNA combined from different species, lab-created concoction. And wait for it, there are countless more variants available to be used. Yuck. Am I being too cynical to ask if the agenda is simply to wear us all down with an endless stream of variants until those in power have accomplished a desired goal? It sure seems that way. If this sounds too hard to believe, he has links that recount the entire patent history, who financed the patents, Fauci's role, and all the relevant patent numbers. You can look up yourself. If you prefer to read this history, he's laid it all out in another post, which is in a link. You can also check out these four books for a much deeper, detailed history of these crimes against humanity. Your day is coming, Tony. For now, here is another disturbing piece of information that has come to light. Number 14. The other ingredients being found in the, quote, vaccines, unquote. Forgive me if I'm being overly skeptical, but consider what we discussed above. Number one, the FDA actively discourages people from taking ivermectin for COVID. Number two, the FDA won't release the data they relied upon to approve the Pfizer jab. Number three, Pfizer and the FDA have blatantly redacted ingredients inside these products. Number four, the patent record tells us about various kinds of nanotechnologies that have been created for use in vaccines, including bizarre self-spreading vaccines or vaccines that spread like a disease. As you might imagine, any scientist qualified to look through the microscope would be curious to see if he, she can find other ingredients hiding in these shots. Check out what else has been repeatedly identified in these jabs. Graphene oxide has been found in all four major injections, thus creating a long list of potential health problems, never never mind the long list of ethical problems. And wouldn't you know it, Graphene oxide is already patented for use in the coronavirus vaccines. Number two, bizarre alien-looking self-aware organisms that appears to be or behave like freshwater hydra, a self-replicating life form that's almost impossible to kill, are repeatedly showing up under the microscope. What? Number three, perfectly formed linked discs are also showing up under the microscope. Do we even know what they are? Seriously, read the patent linked above and see if having information read from inside your body and sent to a server doesn't sound way too big brother. Maybe we can take comfort in the fact that due to contamination, there is there was a massive recall of 1.6 million doses of COVID jabs. 
similar to contamination in non-COVID vaccines. Maybe, hopefully, what's being found in these COVID jabs is simply explained as contamination, or maybe this is something we weren't supposed to find. In case you haven't put the pieces together of where this kind of tech could go, consider that there is a massively organized, well-funded transhuman movement fresh off a three-day conference in Spain in October 2021, dead set on, quote, building back better by integrating and controlling humans via, via technology. Maybe this isn't what it appears, but whatever is going on is not giving me the warm fuzzies. Regardless of how present nanotechnologies are in these shots, given how shady the FDA has been, I'd argue this isn't the time to believe the best or put blind faith in these liability-free jabs. I'm gonna stick with a hard no on these, quote, vaccines. Okay, let's step back from the microscope and patient patents and look at different repeated patterns. Number 15, the flagrant disregard for the law and human rights. If you're still clinging to the mainstream COVID narrative, please explain why, number one, why nearly every nation, nation approached COVID the same way with the suspension of their respective laws or constitutions. Number two, why in a coordinated fashion has free speech become massively suppressed and misinformation is now a euphemism for quote anything that contradicts Tony Fauci. Number three, why businesses and house of worship, houses of worship were forced to close without due process of law as required by the 14th Amendment. Number four, how the Nuremberg Code that prohibits coercion became irrelevant and now we face government-sponsored ultimatums requiring us to give up our body's sovereignty. Number five, why are executive orders, or should I say executive order by press conference, treated as if they were laws when they're not? Number six, is it a sheer coincidence that four world leaders, Haiti, Chad, Uganda, Maldives, who rejected the COVID narrative, were targeted for assassination within, within a matter of months? I suspect I have a better chance of winning the lottery every day than all these things happening without puppeteering and I don't even buy lottery tickets. If our elected, quote, leaders can force us to give up our rights and coerce us to take ineffective and dangerous product, what other unethical lines are they willing to cross? What if someone with evil intent is or becomes in charge of forcing us to take the next booster or the next one or the next one after that? Do we really think pharma is immune to organized crime? Is pharma ever going to accept liability for future vaccines or will they forever be liability free? Yes, beyond what has happened so far, I'm actually more concerned with number 16, the dystopia that's worsening. If I can't convince you that ethics or real science isn't in favor of these jabs, maybe seeing how quickly tyranny is, tyranny is spreading can get us on the same page. Here's the dystopia that's spreading like wildfire. Fire. We live in a world where, one, we are unable to apply basic cost-benefit analysis. Instead, we're told to embrace any measure that will fight COVID. Two, your favorite local businesses may have to close because not enough customers are willing to comply with a vaccine mandate. Three, the most credentialed doctors we have are being labeled as terrorists and systemically silenced when they speak any contrarian information. <coughs> and four, the people who are arguing for your freedom are put on a terrorist watch list. We live in a world where you can be imp implanted with a microchip that's connected to your personal ID and bank account and all your personal information is sent to the cloud. That's already happening, by the way. 
think about it is that if everything is trackable, everything is instantly censorable or punishable. We live in a world where your government can force you to check in within five minutes of being texted so they can use facial recognition and geolocating to be sure where you're supposed to be. That too is already happening, by the way. We live in a world where hospital systems and one country after another admits to using COVID to test the effectiveness of propaganda on its citizens. We live in a world where a whole country can take away your ability to travel if you don't submit to participating in these experimental jabs. We live in a world where your government can arbitrarily draw new nonsensical quarantine boundaries you must stay within and force you to travel to, for example, an approved grocery store that is miles away, even though there's one across the street. We live in a world where unclean people, I mean unvaccinated people, are so intolerable they are not allowed to buy food. We live in a world where police in a, quote, free country can sneak up behind you and body slam you in the streets for not wearing a mask, shove elderly women to the ground and pepper spray them, fire tear gas and rubber bullets at peaceful protests. And then he has Australian examples in video form. We live in a world where some think it's okay for parents to be forcibly separated from their children due to COVID. We live in a world in Washington, D.C., no less, where children are allowed to get vaccinated without without their parents knowing it. And we live in a world where our leaders can seemingly do things without consequence. Even the reliably COVID-friendly publication The Atlantic says developments like the above are trading away too much liberty. Can I ask an honest question? Does this look like progress or does it seem perhaps a slippery slope to tyranny? Is this the world you want to keep living in? Don't think it could get, if you don't think it could get any darker, brace yourself. Here's another question I think is fair. Should we be unconcerned that governments in the US, UK and Australia have things like, number one, new detailed plans for quarantine camps or green zones where infected people can be isolated for as long as the authorities deem necessary. Number two, companies are asked to submit proposals for government contracts to provide innovative solutions for, quote, temporary body storage service, unquote. Number three, massive privately run new mega prisons with with crematoriums next to them. Here's one on Google Earth in case you want to see it. Number four, job posting on the U.S. Army website for internment resettlement specialists. Number five, government training courses for how to isolate and quarantine people in rural areas. Do we want to believe this is all really about a virus and nothing else, or that this infrastructure couldn't be used for evil? To me, it sounds like, welcome to COVID-1984. Now, I can hear some of you saying, oh, come on, they would never. I'm sure there's a good reason. I can't believe they would. Why would they? I admit, maybe, hopefully, I'm connecting the wrong dots, but is there any chance you're being too trusting? Have you ever wondered, like I have, how the German people allowed the Holocaust to happen right under their noses? How many times do you think they rationalized it and turned a blind eye to what they saw? Could it be that your failure to imagine evil is your limitation? Let's zoom all the way out. Stanford professor John Ioannidis, perhaps the most respected epidemiologist on the planet, has crunched the numbers from around the globe and found that infection survival rate from COVID is well over 99%. Then he gives the survival rates by age, which are far higher in the 0 to 19 population. 
Folks, that's the same as it looks for every cold and flu season. Are we surprised that people who catch a cold near the end of their life might die? Now, I know for some people, my dad included, COVID can be rough, even deadly, but so can many other types of illnesses. Are we going to accept being locked down and jabbed into oblivion every year? How much overreach has to happen before we say enough? If we can't agree on freedom of choice, can I ask for your help to talk to your friends? If you're hesitant to say yes, may I push the issue a bit further? I'd submit to you that when you fail to say something, you become complicit with what is happening. Whether you get the shot or not, we need you. You can reach your friends and family in ways I can't. What you want to look back on 10 years from now and be proud of yourself for doing. Look, I know these conversations can be hard. These blog posts are hard. I'd still rather write about something else, but I'm committed to the fight. I can't fight every battle, but I can fight with my words and do my best to help you find yours. What about you? Where can you join the fight for freedom? And that leads me to my final reason. Number 17, I want to live in a free country. I don't want to live in a world where human rights are trampled on by those who lust for power. I don't want my kids to grow up living in fear without basic freedoms. I reject the new religion of public health. I will not comply with these jab mandates ever. As Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Amen, Patrick. Thank you for fighting for us all those years ago. Now it's our turn to stand. I will fight for my freedom, my precious children's freedom, and your freedom. Who's with me? A path forward. The simple math is we win this battle if enough of us stand up and say no. Peaceful noncompliance is still the path forward. We give no ground. They can't march down every street and arrest all of us. Let's face it, it's going to be a bumpy ride the next several months, but here are the cool things that can happen after you commit to speaking out and saying no. Number one, instead of being afraid, you start looking for solutions. Number two, you start to realize you're not alone. Number three, you feel a sense of purpose. I truly believe we will win this battle for freedom. The time is ripe for a rebuilding an ethical version of all the systems that currently are trying to enslave us. Governing, banking, education, journalism, social media, healthcare, medicine, food production, entertainment, energy, all of it. By building better systems, local systems, we make the tools of global predators irrelevant. If we all get off Facebook or turn off the major news networks, they go away. If you're an innovator, start innovating. If you're a support person, start supporting people and companies that need support. Want or new, need a new job? That he put links for a couple of job uh, boards that didn't require j- jabs. To keep the conversation going in the weeks and months ahead, I plan to blog about, number one, what I'm learning about to help the vaccine injured. Two, what I'm learning about the systems we're born into that are enslaving us. Number three, my efforts to opt out of these systems and where I'm going instead. <clears throat> Final encouragement. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and doing the right thing anyway. Courage is also contagious. Go make a ruckus where you can and watch how it attracts new friends and freedom fighters into your world. Your new community is one courageous step away. When things feel dark, take a break, hug somebody, and get out into nature. At the very least, find someone to make you laugh. Think about it. What an awesome time to be alive. We get to fight the most epic battle in history, and we get to be on the winning team. We have truth on our side. We have the winning arguments. 
May we all find our courage to live and speak the truth. Until next time, my friends, stay curious and stay frosty. Let's go win some hearts and minds. We got this. Christian.